Hey, what's up? It's Julie Pilot. I'm so excited about this episode of the Idea Fountain because it's about a place that you could actually visit in Los Angeles. Today, we're going to be talking to Teo from Wolf Connection, which is a wolf sanctuary about an hour north of LA. And they have really cool experiences, which you can book on Airbnb, where you can go have a brunch and hike with the wolves. They also do full moon hikes, and in November, there's going to be a women's empowerment circle at Wolf Connection. Uh, If you're not in L.A., Teo also recently uh, released a book called Wolf Connection. This episode is for people that love animals. This episode is for people that love nature. And this episode is for the people that want to hear more about the magic being done at Wolf Connection. I-E-E-A-F-O-U-N-E-A-I-N This is the Idea Fountain, life-changing conversations. So, Teo, we're sitting here right outside of Wolf Connection at your house, and this area has so much magic to it. How would you describe it to somebody who's never visited? Well, uh, definitely I consider this property to be my power spot. What that means is that the first time you know, I was looking to, to buy a property to, to take the, proper, the, the project to the next level, and, and, and when I saw this property, it, it hit me. I saw these valleys, and for some reason it carried an energy that, that, uh, that became home really quickly. So... Um, I think the reason is it has a few things. Um, most likely because of the topography and it has water and it has a lot of medicinal plants and edible plants and game and all these different things. I believe, I have reasons to believe that there was probably a, an indigenous settlement many hundreds of years ago in this area and it carries that energy of that awareness. This has been an area that uh, over the years um, was part of the gold rush. So there was some... Um, People came with very deep and aggressive dreams and, and, and hopes and, you know, through this land. And it's almost like the land had been soaked by, by medicine, by dreams, by hopes, by um, all kinds of things. And now almost like, uh, you know, the culmination of all that is our time at Wolf Connection that brings indigenous traditions together, hopes and dreams with all the people that we serve. We rescue and heal the wolves, so the whole thing combined, you know, com- converges here, um, and I think that's what you're feeling. I'm so thankful that now it's open to the public and people can come visit. We'll talk about how people can come here sure. in a little bit because for a lot of years you were doing really special work. Um, the work you were doing that I was connected with was with underserved youth. And there were a lot of boys I knew from South Central, some of which had been in gangs and some of them just had a really hard life. And they would come to Wolf Connection and I would see the hardest kids that were in the most danger come back and say, that changed my life. Or tell me a really emotional story about an interaction they had here. And I love telling people yeah, there's this place, Wolf Connection. They do gang intervention with wolf th- therapy. And it blows people's minds. 
And then I don't explain it as great as I would like to. Talk about, I know that's just one sliver of what you do, but you've been working with kids for a long time. Yeah, I've been working with kids for over 20 years. That started back in Argentina when, uh, come, when after coming out, out of uh, the army, I established a, a rock climbing school and an expedition in Patagonia. And and for part of the year, in the summers, I uh, would open the door for families and kids and teach them rock climbing and, and different things. And that's what, um, uh, where I got the bug, if you, if you will. Fast forward many years, I uh, became uh, you know, a coach and mentor, interventionist, um, public speaker, and, and always focused on youth. Now, after 10 years of Wolf Connection, now... People, wow, this is good. This is cool. Imagine when I started. Yeah. And I start, you know, proposing that I will get the most, uh, you know, emotionally closed and some, in some cases, unstable young men and women and women in the, you know, face to face with a wolf so they can heal and move forward. Right. Uh, you know, how the people thought I was crazy. The other one, you know, was ready to commit me. So, um, When I first came in touch with the wolves, uh, they had an impact on me that was uh, undeniable. And so I began, I began myself feeling deeper uh, in, in my uh, emotional range, uh, clearer in my head, uh, more focused. And that was, um, I realized, all due to their presence. There was no program. No one was doing an intervention with me. I was just caring for them. Then I invited some teens from, from some schools that I was working with at the time. And I began witnessing what you just said, the most closed down and reserved and sometimes uh, distant uh, young people were all of a sudden smiling for the first time or volunteering their experiences and sharing and, and trying new things, taking risks. So I... I I realized there was something of value and what, was, what that was, I didn't know for sure, but was worth exploring. So I began uh, based, you know, drawing from my previous experience uh, to develop some basic lessons that now are called Wolf Principles are outlined on the book, uh, in the book. And, um, and I began giving a little bit of format. So then I, and I began witnessing miracles. And I still, it was all uh, instinctive. Uh, I didn't have a, a foundation. I didn't know really why. And I began doing my research. And I began, began to, be, uh, I started to find um, a lot of evidence, both in indigenous tradition and now in scientific, uh, scientific studies of the impact that wolf is currently have and had in our uh, lives and, and evolution. So it turns out, that the wolf is the first animal we ever associated with. The, uh, indigenous traditions have been talking about this since we are in, been in touch with them a few hundred years. And then science now, through the study of epigenetics, beginning to, to find some, some uh, um, um, convergence of the wolf evolution and human evolution. It seems that at certain key moments in our history, we partnered up with wolves to survive. We looked at wolves for guidance in the sense that we started following them in migrating patterns. We began hunting like them. We began um, organizing ourselves socially like wolves. So 
the 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 current concept of a you know the extended family mom and dad grandma grandpa aunts and uncles that's a wolf pack right there's no primates that really behaves and organize themselves like that the concept of the the, the basic Native American village you know we have the hunters and the people caring for the the kids and the leaders and the I mean that's that's really a, a, you know a model taken from a wolf pack so some scientists believe that now after hundreds or some perhaps thousands of generations of co-evolving and collaborating with canines, we have a genetic memory of that relationship. So when I theorize uh, in my book is that, that when the youth come in contact with the wolf, that ancestral memory gets activated and this ancestral memory functions like a factory reset, if you might, where all the hurt and pain, resentment, doubt, hesitation, uh, hatred, fear, whatever that is, that, that, that is holding these young people back for a moment subsides and allows for a new start. I believe it. I mean, I have a confession. I, ne- well, I never <laughs> have really thought of myself as an animal person. I see. I get along great with kids, right? And I don't dislike animals. I, you know, love my friends' pets, but I'm not the person that if I go on a hike at Runyon Canyon, I'm petting strange dogs. But because of the testimonials I'd heard of kids that had come here, I wanted to come experience wolf connection. And the second I got here, I mean, you really can feel that connection on a visceral level it, it's powerful yeah. and it's much different um than a dog wolves and dogs are very very different yeah. for people that might not get that can you explain some of the differences well the the, the easiest way to explain this is that uh, the the dog is the watered down version of the wolf the same way as we are the watered-down version of the earlier man, our earlier human, in terms of our connectedness to nature. Oh. Right? So we have, over the millennia, uh, and especially over the last few hundred years, we have moved away from our existence in nature. We have created a very artificial existence for all of us. We wear shoes, we depend on our technology, we don't follow the sun and moon cycles. It's just, you know, we, we, we have detached ourselves. Um, and, and so in terms of connectivity, in terms of awareness of our, of our environment, we have lost something. So the dog a little bit have lost something in comparison to the, to the, to the wolf. And, um, and in genetic terms, we're looking at uh, uh, the dog is... Uh, you know, now, now we know that the um, wolf and dog um, genome split about 40,000 years ago. So 40,000 years ago, humans began breeding certain wolves and initially early dogs for certain traits. We, we believe that originally it was for friendliness or, or, you know, bonding with humans. Eventually, we began breeding them for work purposes, you know, to carry loads, to go to war, to herd sheep, different things. And eventually we continue breeding them for looks, the white ones with the brown ones, with the black ones, right? And so, so we look at 40,000 years of messing around with the genetic code. So um, to a point that now 
the dog sees us as their master. They are here to serve us. They depend on our approval because they're asking, you know, pet me, pet me, you know, look at me, pay attention. I mean, they have this, you know, codependence in a way. The wolf still today sees us as their peer. Mm. So they can connect, they bond, and, and you can attest to the experience. They come and say hi, and, you can, and they, they make a relationship, they establish a relationship, and then they move on. They don't sit there, they don't depend on your attention for their, you know, to reaffirm who they are. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the way nature intended them. When you were talking about people thinking you were crazy to bring <laughs> gang members with wolves, I know that not only do you do the rehabilitations or the initiations with the wolf pack, but you also uh, have worked with people that have been recently uh, released from prison. Yeah. And in both scenarios, it would be really easy to generalize and say that type of person might have a lot of walls up, be really shut down, or not open to something like this. Can you, do you mind sharing a specific story or just something you've seen that's been a miracle or why it works? Yeah. Um, well, now my time for a confession because when I had the, the, the opportunity to start working with previously incarcerated people, especially lifers, um, arose, I was hesitant. I had uh, judgments. I was, well, if, you know, if someone was sent to prison for life, there's a reason, right? So I, I had a little bit of, yeah, you know, I don't know if I want to serve these, these, uh, these people. And then I met them, mm-hmm. right? And, and I, I was faced with a, with a dichotomy between what I thought, that, you know, they would be to, you know, compared to what they actually are. And what I was faced with was they felt to me like... Um, like a Tibetan monk in many ways, you know, uh, this, this man um, has spent 20, 30, 40 years in a prison cell, nowhere to go, moving from the, the, the yard to the, the cell to, to eat, to do some chores, to do some, you know, weeding and for 40 years, wow. day in and day out and day in and nowhere to be no, I mean, completely detached to society the way we know it. So they come out of prison and they come with a certain speed, a certain depth, a certain um, uh, presence that was surprising for me to, to experience. Um, so I, um, and I also found, you know, I, I um, the, the true meaning of rehabilitation, I, I, um, I, I was witness, I witnessed a lot of awareness of whatever crime they committed 30 and 40 years ago. Some of them went to prison at 16 years old. Mm. They're just coming out and they're almost 60 years old, right? And, and, um, and it's just a different human being, right? And of course, it, does, it doesn't um, brush aside the fact that they committed a, a crime, but I think it's, it's, it is in us to give, especially people that have done uh, they, they work uh, another chance. So why does it work in those populations? What we do with, with um, previously incarcerated uh, people is um, a retreat of welcome back to society. So within a couple of weeks of being released from prison, they come here to Wolf Connection for two or three days. 
And we do an intensive a time with the wolves where they sleep under the stars, where they are fading. We do fire ceremonies. We do, um, um, you know, uh, fire circles, meditations, council, uh, hike with the wolves, um, vision quest, rites of initiation, and rites of welcome back to society in a way that they feel that they have something to offer. And, and why does it work is because I believe the wolves match that deep vibration of, of meditative state, of deep, deep silence, of deep presence. So, so um, when these men and women come into society and they, they meet a fast society that runs and, and is dependent on all these things, a constant stimulus, now they come to the wolves and go like, oh, okay, you can take a deep breath. You know, this, this, uh, uh, I'm home with the wolves. I'm also curious, again, whether it's somebody that's come from a rough neighborhood or been incarcerated. By the way, you saying somebody that's been incarcerated for 40 years has a monk-like state makes total sense to me. I've never thought about it before. But if you were to think of somebody that comes from a rough neighborhood it's easy to think they have that alpha state of mind, right? Constantly living in fight or flight mode. And I imagine that bumping up against the wolf, like, is there ever too much intensity, right? Like the alpha alpha meeting? No, and I gotta say, uh, I mean, um, of course, you know, there's studies done about the, you know, uh, men with, you know, genetic studies, men with high levels of testosterone, you know, tend to be more aggressive. So, so the prison population typically have high testosterone levels. So that can speak to, in, in human terms, that aggressive, quote-unquote, alpha personality. Now, what we define as alpha here is not aggressiveness, but it's presence. Mm. So it's a, it's a presence that is beyond hormonal levels, that is, has to do with inner work, that has to do with groundness, and so on. In, in what I've witnessed is that the prison system will break down anybody. So some people might have gone there with an aggressive personality. That's not what I'm seeing when they come out. I mean, I mean I've seen for the most part mellow, um, you know, very easygoing individuals. And the wolf respond very well to that. And even though, if, even if they have a, a, an intensity or a drive to lead, they won't have an issue with that. They have an issue with imbalance. So the, the wolf will have a reaction to human um, disconnect. So do you mean by imbalance or disconnect if somebody is distracted? Well, distracted is one way. I mean, uh, uh, distracted, I mean, we can be distracted because there's, uh, you know, the one wolf does one thing and the other. I'm talking about the um, checked out, numb, uh, hiding, um, that's what I'm talking about. And then imbalance then um, is people in their heads, right. right? People that, you know, they just can't process, I mean, it's not embodied, uh, there's no, nothing comes from their heart, and every, part, every time they, they will try to touch their hearts, they go into their heads with distracting themselves, and it's not about being distracted, but it's what is the, you know, the underlying cause of the distraction. I had to cross over that line the first time I went on the hike with the wolves because there's that saying that animals can smell fear. And it's a pretty big leap to 
meet a wolf and this magnificent creature and to crouch down and be looking at them eye to eye and think, I'm not scared, they can smell fear <laughs> and just trust, you know, yeah. but it can be a scary thing. Um, is that an imbalance? No. No, that's a, that, I mean, that's a natural animal reaction, right? I mean, we, we are in a, in a uh, you know, as you know, here with Foundation, we do it, we make it look easy yeah. and we do it, you know, seamlessly. But in essence, you are face to face with a wolf you never met before. So yeah. it, it is a pretty, you know, in essence, a very challenging. So, and, and so the disconnect, to be honest with you, the disconnect is for the people that don't realize that. Mm. The people that, oh, okay, you know, just take the selfies, like anything else that happens yeah. in their lives. I mean, you are face to face with a wolf. You have to respect it. But beyond that, it's just like, you know, anything goes wrong. And, and of course, nothing goes wrong. We train these animals for years before they're face to face with the public. But um, so I believe that actually that awareness is, is healthy. Mm-hmm. Realizing that, you know, yeah, hold on, right? It's a, everybody says it's, it's safe, but at the end of the day, you know, this is, you know, big mouthful of teeth, right? You know, licking my face. Yeah. Um, With the the piece about smelling fear, they can smell fear, but, you know, some dogs have a reaction to that, will attack or they will get fearful themselves, so they will react. Um, Our uh, experience with the wolves here is that in general, they become uh, nourishing. They would actually almost... uh, um, come and envelop you with, reassure you, reassuring that it's okay. I mean, I, I can see that you're, you're fearful and I'm going to give you my side. I'm going to turn around and look the other way so you can pet me in the back. I mean, I, they do things that are very interesting to see how they reassure people. That's sweet. Um, your book focuses on what wolves can teach us about being human. Yeah. And I love the concept of the wolf pack and how we developed our social cues. We talked a little bit about the alpha. I was wondering if you could walk me through some of the other roles in the wolf pack. And I'm curious, based off of what you said, can a female be an alpha in a pack or is it always the male? Well, actually, um, recent findings or discoveries over the last you know, decade or two point to the fact that the um, wolf society is a matriarchal society. So the, fee, the alpha female is actually the boss. Yes. Yeah. So it's a matriarchal society. Um, the, there is an alpha male, but the alpha male is more um, focused on defending territory because the usual males are bigger, taking down the bigger game, you know, fencing off intruders, that kind of stuff. But the big decisions like um, where the den is going to be, excuse me, when the den's going to be, where the hunting territory is going to be for the year, uh, where the rendezvous site will be, uh, you know, sometimes even, you can, you know, there have been observations of the females, uh, alpha females hunting, and they almost, there's a way that they pick the caribou that they want, so the whole pack is running behind them, and then there's a way, there's a certain body language that, that she picks the one caribou, and then the whole pack goes after that particular animal. So... Most definitely, on our wolf connection, the the wolf that was the alpha of the pack since the inception of the organization 
and that was um, led the pack until she died uh, a couple of years ago was Maya. She was a female, and she was the most incredibly balanced and loving and 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 uh, solid alpha. It was really a um, a joy and a, and, a, and and you know a sense of awe to see her lead the pack. Um, yeah. And what are the other roles in the pack? There's a we can answer that in two, a couple of ways because in the wild the roles are a little bit more fluid. Uh, in the wild, mom and dad are typically the alphas, and then you have a, a and a pack is is composed of the the parents with two or three liters of pups. The only breeding pair are the parents, so. So a younger, you know, an older sibling or an older pup would have a kind of a beta position, like a little bit of an enforcer. Um, you can see them correcting the pups, right, and so on. But the, the, the hierarchy is basically a, a family. Mm-hmm. In, in captivity, there are some more roles that have come up out of observations because wolves behave a little differently in captivity than in the wild. So in captivity, the roles are a little bit more... Um, established a little bit more uh, um, uh, solid, solidified. So we have the alphas, we have the betas are usually um, enforcers or, or you know, uh, making sure that people follow the rules, uh, people, other wolves follow the rules. Um, then you have the mid-rank that are usually hunters and trackers. So um, we have defined a wolf connection part of our curriculum, those roles in a, in a way that humans can understand them. And then we have the nannies, which can be males or females, which are the ones in care, uh, caring for the pups. In this case, many times at the Wolf Connection, caring for wolves that just come in, even if they're not young, but they're still getting their, their, uh, their ropes within the pack. And then there are the omegas, which tend to be goofy, kind of uh, peacemakers of the pack. So there is some you know, squaffle between, they want to come and, and initiate play and diffuse tension. Wow. Um, I like talking a lot about instincts and intuition on the idea fountain. And one of my favorite stories you've told me is the moment you realize you want to have a wolf sanctuary. Will you tell that story? Yeah, that story, yeah. Um, so... You know, the Wolf Foundation started with a single pup named Tala. And then uh, looking for a playmate for her, I came across 16 wolves and wolf dogs um, that were coming from a hoarder situation and a very, very bad environment in the desert. So when I come around, uh, they, by the time they had just been rescued and they were living at a dog rescue center, a pit bull rescue center. So I come looking for a, but I don't even say, well, they tell me we have all these ones here and they, they take me to the back and they show me all these wolves and I was blown away. I mean, so instead of actually to the point that uh, instead of taking one and adopting one, I stayed and volunteered and began helping out, coming once a week and then twice a, twice a week and then three times. Within three months, I'm, I'm having a conversation with the, the woman that owned this pitbull rescue center and um, we're talking about trivia and, and these words all of a sudden come out of my mouth. I said, you know, all my life I wanted to start a wolf sanctuary. <laughs> well, the best part about this story is... 
Well, is that I wasn't, it wasn't really true. I mean, I wasn't, um, it wasn't in the forefront of my, in my intention. Starting a wall sanctuary was never part of, you know, in my vision board, so to speak. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, you know, it was not true. But at the, at the moment, as, at the moment I spoke those words, they were honest. I was speaking from my heart. Till today, I I'm, 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 can only guess what was happening, if it was a wall speaking through me or it was some, some longing that I had deep within me that I didn't know about. You were born to do it, whether you knew it or not. I guess so. I did not know that. But, uh, you know, everything points to that fact. Sorry, I've got to point out, there's a beautiful hummingbird just hovering right uh, by us and uh, checking us out. Okay. Messages from nature, yep. right? Yeah. So yeah, that's lightness, and so um, yeah, it was. A, I didn't know that this was would become my life work. Um, but what's interesting also is that it would not. My my word was so true that this 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 person said, "Sure, I'll help you," and you know she believed me. Um, she had no reason not to, and I never looked back. You know, I spoke those words, and then that tri- uh, you know triggered a, a series of events that led to uh, me taking over the pack and started caring for them on a daily basis, and then looking for a finding a place of land to to rent and uh, you know at least and move the, the the pack to, and 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 uh, certain doors began opening up, and I continued walking through them without hesitation. I think it's powerful, though, because there's a lot of people that think you need to know what you want to do, go to school, get a degree, and that's your career path. But it can change at any time if you follow your heart. Do you believe that? Well, and then, uh, and then before I even ask myself if I believe that, is that who really thinks that? That, you know, is it really us that think that you go to school? Or, I mean, or is our parents or is society? I mean, who, who plants that program in us, which is a 150-year-old program, really, it's not it's nothing new. I mean, everything indicates that, um, you know, the last couple of generations that have three or four careers in their lifetimes, that whatever you thought you were going to be doing at the end of high school, m- most likely you're not going to will be doing in your 30s and 40s and 50s, you know, so... Um, um, I think it's about just, uh, okay, let me take it one step back. I believe that all this opened up for, because of two pledges that I've done in my life. Mm. Early in my life, I pledged my life to raising consciousness. And, and I will die doing that. My last breath will be about raising consciousness. The second pledge that I've done years later, 10 or 15 years after that was to be of service to the next generation. So I focus that, and it's still about consciousness, but I believe, you know, if humanity has a chance, the next generation will be the one. At the current, the current we have some, some work to do, but the next one will be the one that will make it or break it. And I didn't have the details. The piece is that, uh, you know, the fear-based piece that has to do with, and now I need to know how everything is gonna work out. I'm gonna map it to the detail. And well, some people, you know, for some people that may work, uh, it's certainly not my case. But those two pledges are holding true, uh, holding holding its ground all throughout the last 20 years of my life. I love that, uh, calling it pledges. There's so many people that say, I'm going to set an intention. 
And a pledge seems like such a stronger commitment. I, I really love that. Um, in speaking on intuition and instincts also, one of the key takeaways I've always heard about wolf connection is when the kids come up here, and maybe it happened to me too, the wolf will sometimes choose you. Yeah. Explain how that works. Well, I believe um, this ancestral connection uh, from, you know, that we have to wolf, wolf also have with us. And, and the wolves uh, don't have this, this chatter that we have in our heads, you know, this constant inner dialogue that, that is confusing. So they have a, a greater clarity of um, who they are, what they're here for, and what's in front of them. So time and time again, we have witnessed uh, wolves with, uh, that for whatever reason, and we can theorize that maybe they have a similar story, a similar past, or this and that, the wolf is drawn to a particular youth and, and it becomes a journey of mutual healing and mutual discovery that um, is, is, is beyond anything I could have imagined when I put this, you know, started this place. The first time I came here, I walked in the door super fascinated, but again, I had that first thought that ah, I don't know how this is going to go. I'm not really an animal person. There's so many people that come in and want to pet every wolf and right. they think they're the animal person. And I was standing in a big group and um, a gate opened and Malo was going on a walk and they brought Malo over to our group and it was the first wolf we encountered and Malo beelined over to me. And, you know, I squatted down and, like, was right in my face. And I was so surprised because, again, there were so many people there that call themselves animal people and stuff. But how would you describe Malo's characteristic? Well, Malo uh, teaches uh, boundaries because he has none. So Malo will do that, will just come over you and just, you know, slobber you and take you over and put his paw on your head and, right? So, so uh, he has a very, uh, 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 well, he loves to connect first and he has, you know, a dominant personality. I mean, he's already, he's now 10 or 11, but when we got it at three years old, he was, you know, like it was his way or the highway, right? So he has this, this uh, taking over. Now, Back to, you know, animal people, quote unquote, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm happy you're not, I mean, self-defined that because that, that comes with a lot of assumptions, comes with a lot of, you know, uh, self-reflection, comes with a lot, a lot of uh, uh, ego, if you, if you will. You know, I'm, it is a running joke here, Wolf Connection, when someone comes and says, uh, you know, I had to come because the wolf is my totem animal. And we go, oh God, okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about that, right? Because, uh, not because I'm trying to be diminishing of someone having a connection with a wolf, but when someone leads with that, the first thing they say about them, that uh, tells us that there is a whole bunch of expectations and judgments and statements of fact, you know, and, and, and identity with, so, uh, you know, they expect the wolf or us or whatever to reaffirm that uh, special connection. Uh, you mentioned a totem animal or spirit animal. I want to talk about some of the connections to indigenous culture. Um, there's something I've done many times in my life, but I have no idea 
how to explain the power or importance of it. And it's something that you can do at Wolf Connection. Will you talk about the medicine wheel? Sure. So in terms of indigenous cultures, I want to start by saying um, that I, I don't have a Native American or First Nation ancestry. So every time we approach uh, these practices, we do it with extreme reverence and asking for a lot of permission. I, I personally have gone to tribal elders and make sure that they're okay with us using. And, and, uh, and that has opened certain doors because otherwise um, we have these, um, you know, settlers, uh, you know, uh, default of just taking shit. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're going to take the land and then we take the buffalo and then we take the practices and then we take the, you know, the ceremonies and we don't, ref you know, quote the source or show any reverence. I mean, we feel like you own the place. So that's the first thing I want to say about that. that everything that we do here is, is very carefully curated and uh, with permissions and so on. Um, so the medicine wheel is a, is a traditional practice from the North American tribes. Uh, specifically from mostly from the East Coast, but it's across the, the country now. Um, that is a, basically an arrangement of rocks following the what is called the prehistoric cross. So it's a circle with a cross in between that is aligned with the four directions. And this has been used for, for centuries to um, connect with the cycles of life and the cycles of the the seasons and the sun and the moon. So um, people have sat around or walked around the medicine wheel to understand uh, beginnings, developments, you know, completions and, and rebirth and so on. So we use the medicine wheel with the young people in ways that, um, you know, every, every, every week they come and they put a stone in the area of the medicine wheel they think they, think they are on that particular week. So it doesn't always have to do with how old they are. They're typically teenagers, so they will go, you know, in the development section, you know, of, of discovery section of the medicine wheel, which is typically the south, south direction. But maybe they have a project in their lives that they're in the middle of, or their probation, their recovery from drug use, and so on. And some of them are in different areas that particular day. And then, and then we use it in a way that they can... Um, project themselves, you know, they are teenagers, but they, they can talk to their older self and um, it's a way for us to help them establish intentions, like you mentioned earlier, or go the opposite. I mean, as a teenager, talk to their younger self in the East and apologize or, or forgive or um, pass wisdom to the younger self that they didn't have at the time, but they have now. So it's a very healing, very um, dynamic process that circumvents talk therapy. We don't like or don't, don't use the talk therapy at Wolf Connection because some of the youth, most of the youth that come already have you know, therapists and counselors and social workers and you know, probation officers in their lives. Uh, that for the most part is about talking about their process and talking about their experience and their past and what they're going to do. So we avoid that and we let them have experiences that um, bring about the change that they need. So I think that's really interesting. I realize that a lot of times when I've been somewhere that there's been a medicine wheel practice, usually it's like an art installation 
and someone will explain it. But I like the ritual you just talked about. So if I walk up, what would the winter be? The east? Or yeah, no, the endings? No, and winter is north. Winter is north. Right. So, so beginning is the east. North, you know, when, the, when the sun comes up, that's the beginning. You mm. know, it comes up from the east. So the east represents any type of beginning. So it's birth, spring, um, crescent moon, uh, uh, you know, morning. Um, and then, of course, you know, birth. So if I realize that I'm in the north in the winter for an area of my life, then the next part of the ritual would be to... Rebirth. Rebirth. Yeah. But what do I do in that moment? You were talking about reflecting with the older version of yourself. Like, what, what do you recommend? Well, the, uh, the, the north is the, the time of completion. Mm-hmm. So actually, the west is time of completion. The north is the time of reflection. Reflection. So the night of the time, you know, is, a, is old age, the time of wisdom, the time of the elder of the tribe, and it's about passing the the wisdom to to the next generation and be be that uh, holder of the pipe or holder of the of the skull or the, in the different traditions. So it's um, uh, yeah, it's the time to go in and the time to just um, uh, integrate and complete. You talked about raising consciousness. Yeah. And we're talking about rituals. It's so easy to be on your cell phone, be busy, and just move through life. Um, what should people know about the power of rituals? Well, the power of, I mean, we are filled to the brim with rituals, whether we know it or not. You know, we wake up at, at the same time, we go to work, we take the same bus or we drive and the same. I mean, we are filled. I mean, we, Richard, we, we brush our teeth starting on the lower left quadrant. I mean, it's like, you know, we follow the things like to the to the uh, to the dot. Most of these rituals are unconscious. are just default. Mm-hmm. You know, we are mindless, just routines. Right. But if we are able to switch the conversation and actually bring awareness and intention to these rituals, all of a sudden the richness is endless because, uh, you know, we can make a ritual out of uh, paying attention to nature. We can make a ritual out of connecting. If you take the bus or the subway to work, connecting with the people next to us, opposed to just checking out with music. And um, so we are creatures of ritual with consciousness or in numbness. The choice is ours. And if somebody's working a 40-hour work week and has a family and they're busy, if they consciously start creating rituals, what benefits would they see from that? Well, I can only speak for experience. Um, so rituals, what rituals do for me or, or past the ritual, the, the awareness of what I'm doing at each moment, just paying attention of what I'm doing at each moment, it does a number of things. One, stretches time. Mm-hmm. So each day is so rich and so long, and is you know it's, it's said in the in the tradition that I'm I'm part of that the 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 medicine men or the seers of this tradition would live in one day the equivalent of a regular person's life. It was so rich and so impactful, and the the variety of exper- experience was so vast. That would be a whole lifetime in a day. So 
that level of awareness brings that depth. You know, sometimes we go, days are just going through my finger, like, my God, it seems like I'm not getting anything done. That usually has to do with just, uh, 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 you know, we are not able to focus and, and just really dive, you know, dive into every instance. Um, then I found that my level of happiness is is greater. I mean, I, I enjoy things. I also, I might, and let me clarify that because it's really more than happiness is the level of the, the emotional range is wider. So when things are really impactful, the, the, the impact is, is felt stronger than the sadness or the, or the challenge, but also that comes with an equal uh, extended range for happiness and joy and hope and 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 uh, and vision and 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 um, um, yeah hope for humanity. Um, I feel that I'm younger every day because of this, you know. And of course, I'm getting gray in my hair, but I but I'm stronger and I'm healthy. I'm, you know, I, I it's, it's a little timeless in terms of the way I feel in my body. And I think this in the function also of of this, and of course in a good day. I mean, there are days that I that just go through my fingers, like you know, you know, any other. I might steal that if somebody says, "What are you going to do this weekend?" I don't know. Maybe stretch some time. Yeah. Um, tell me about. There's two things uh, connected to um, Wolf Connection that take things uh, to a deeper level. Um, you mentioned there's a shamanic connection to the wolves also, right? What yep. does that mean? Shamanic connection to the wolves. Um, well, I'm going to unpack shamanic for a minute. So, so um, even though I have a training that is in a line of Mesoamerican shamanism, I do not consider myself a shaman. And the reason is, uh, the way I was taught, that distinction of shaman, that is a very specific anthropological definition of a certain medicine man for a certain culture that I don't belong to. So, shamanic tradition is, you know, they say that the shaman is the, the middleman or the conduit to, uh, between worlds. Mm -hmm. So, it will help the people connect with other worlds, whether that is uh, the animal world, or the or the plant world, or the or the elements, you know, the water and the air and the fire, or um, peer through the veil and and connect with the, the the dead or the spirit realm, right? So that's 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 the traditional. So when we talk about connecting uh, with the walls this way, is um, I mean, which I didn't know I had a particular connection with the the wolf energy that um, allows for a certain transmission and a certain wisdom to come through and imbue everything that we do at the ranch. Interesting. Um, another, another area that I'm unfamiliar with is, um, tell me about the dreaming practices. So part of the, the tradition uh, in, um, from the, the ancient um, Mexico and, and you know, Toltecs and Aztecs. I mean, I, I, I learned through the work of Carlos Castaneda. So that includes um, uh, several practices, one of which is the practice of uh, a dreaming. And, and, you know, it could be described a little bit like conscious dreaming or 
or but it's really uh, it's it's, a, it's several steps past that, which is the ability to to um, the way some of my colleagues would put it, the ability to realize that you're dreaming and that you can consciously act on your dreams. So it's a it's a practice that takes years to develop, uh, very methodol method method um, a very deep method of uh, routine and and focus and discipline that requires to to be able to act in your dreams. And so, um, do you mean more envisioning something and dreaming it up, or are you talking about interpretation from the subconscious when you're no, dreaming? No, yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm, this is actually the topic of my next book. I know it will be all about dreaming. So, so dreaming in this context, you can use dreaming to uh, retrieve knowledge, dreaming to heal, dreaming to journey, dreaming to um, um, connect with other other uh, realms. So it's not a, a psychological Jungian uh, interpretation of your dreams in any way. I mean, it's, it's actually quite literal. So are you a person that when you dream, do you wake up and write it down to keep track because it's so easy to forget? It depends on the dream. The dreams are more significant than others. You know, when I, the way I'm mapping my next book is... I'm going to really describe the dreams that have changed my life. They're dreaming dreams that have um, really have changed the course of my life. Yeah. And those ones I write down. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can see something that's going to happen or feel it in a dream. Uh, sometimes they are, they are premonitions. Yes. Sometimes they, they, the dreams uh, show me the future. Uh, in some cases, it's just a, um, a certain uh, instance of... Um, a rite of passage that happens, uh, so I, I, I gain a new layer of understanding or consciousness that will help me redirect my life. That's fascinating. I can't wait for the second book. We're just <laughs> focusing on the first book. Okay, um, uh, today, one of the reasons we're here, we're here to see uh, Daisy, yep. which we're going to do after the podcast. Um, will you tell uh, the story of um, how Shima came to you and then there's a connection to Daisy, right? So Shima, um, Shima's a sad story. I mean, I still, I, I, um, it still affects me a lot. She, she came to us from an alleged uh, fur farm. She was a young pup, about a year and a half, two. And she came to us... Um, pregnant. Uh, we don't typically receive uh, pregnant bulls um, um, for many different reasons, but in this case she came, so it was a, a, a great celebration for us, I mean the excitement of, of, of puppies and so on. And um, and what we didn't know is she, she had uh, certain hidden uh, health conditions that were, um, so first of all, she lost the pregnancy. I would believe that the trauma of the rescue being transported all the way across across the country and the handle from facility to facility, she landed here uh, with, we, um, um, you know, she lost her pregnancy, which we didn't know. And that's very much nature, right? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Somebody yeah. said that she reabsorbed the wolf pups. She did, she did because, uh, um, and that's very common as well. Uh, when when she first was initially rescued, they went to spay her, and then the the vet one day, you know, the, they were beginning the spaying surgery. They found they they he can feel the pups 
in, I called, he counted seven heads. So seven pups in, in her belly. So didn't do the spaying. And then um, she continued having some of the symptoms, some of the ways, you know, her, uh, you know, her, her, her nipples were evolving and changing. And the, word, the symptoms were continued. She had like a, continued having like a false pregnancy. And then uh, the due date came and went and nothing was happening. And then we did an x-ray and there was no pups. So uh, either she aborted them and then ate them, which is, which is common, or she reabsorbed them within the system, which is also common. We don't know exactly what happened, but we never saw uh, any, any signs of blood or anything in her enclosure that would point to the fact that she actually you know, aborted them. Um, but in the end there, you know, after that, I mean, we could see that there were some, some health issues with her. And, um, and, you know, after she recovered from her pain surgery, we'd, we put her with, a, with a, another wolf, and this wolf had a reaction probably to her, to her weakness or, or so on. Or, so she, she, uh, she got attacked. And, and the wounds were not life-threatening and nothing was really, it was just some surface wounds, but I don't think, I think her nervous system, her um, immune system was, was compromised and she, and she died. And, um, and I, I want to point out that Shima means mother. Yeah, in Navajo. Yeah, yeah, she, we gave her that name because of that. So, you know, she's buried up in the hill, we put some, some lights, we got some spotlights on her on her grave, so she continues shining through the night when she when you know during the night. Um, and so now we got uh, you know this 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 weighed very heavily on, on my wife and me and the rest of the team. I mean we will have so many hopes we bonded with. I mean she's such a kindred spirit and and uh, yeah, such a life um, that was never realized. And this she might help me um, reflect or. You know, as, as, as I was burying her, um, reflecting on the many youth whose lives also never get to be realized. Some of them get murdered in a gunfight or, or they, you know, they commit a crime and they end up in prison for the rest of their lives. Or, or they have certain talent that they never discover or a certain skill or certain, you know, life purpose that they never get to connect with. Right. And, and Shima helped me um, connect with all that unfulfilled potential. Fast forward, you know, a year or so, now we have received Daisy. And, and energetically speaking, she's bringing some healing to that because in a way, you know, she's a pup that we never got. She, she came, you know, so now she's a ball of joy running around and, you know, biting your heels and pulling the other wolf's tails and, Right, so she has uh, it's just a joy to be around her. Um, so in a small way, I would say, you know, it's the completion of that life cycle, and and um, yeah. It's uh, funny. Um, one of the biggest uh, events in my life was through my work. I had grown up working in local radio, and then I got the opportunity. Um, to be a part of a startup that changed the course of music. But when I got the call to make this change, it was a really big risk. And um, a lot of people thought I was crazy, but I took the risk and it ended up paying off and um, 
has been a phenomenal thing. Yeah. But when I got the call to take the job, the code name for the project was Daisy. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So when I got the call about Daisy, I knew I was in. I knew this was an important pop. Wow. Yeah. And we almost changed her name. She came with a name and I'm like, this is a you know, badass wolf. You know, I call it Daisy. I mean, like, and then, uh, and then started, you know, trickling and we all began to connect with and we found the meaning and some of my team, I don't remember what it is now, but it has some ancient, uh, you know, old English meaning uh, that is, that's beautiful. So Daisy it is. I love it. Um, when I was coming here, I had a couple people who are fans of Wolf Connection send me some questions <laughs> that they have for you. Sure. Um, uh, one is from Alicia, who's tied to mentoring and familiar with the program. Yep. And she was curious, um, and I think this is interesting in parallel with the theme of what wolves can teach us about being human. Because um, I don't know the answer to this question, but it kind of parallels with people. Do you have to treat wolves different based on their trauma? Slash, do you treat people different based on their trauma? Um, um, yeah, the answer is yes. And the answer is no. Um, at a primal level, that trauma is just um, part of the life experience. Right. Um, so that said, some wolves can prepare to trust uh, easier than others. Some wolves have been beat up by a guy. So initially, all the female members of the team are the ones that work in the in the rehabilitation process. Um, in some cases, they have been chained for all their lives. So. We don't try to leash them right away. We, we you know, connect and bond and, and we do other, other kinds of enrichment before we, we get to putting something around their necks. Um, so, so the answer is yes. Yes, there's a, um, and each wolf has their own personalities. They have their own tendencies. They don't think that they like and they don't like. So some of them recover better with with a companion in their habitat or enclosure. Some of them recover better by themselves. Some of them uh, um, do very well during hikes. Some of them, no, they don't. And Julian wanted to know, do wolves' personalities change with the moon or times of the year? They, their personalities per se, they don't, ch doesn't change, uh, don't change, but they, um, they're, they're more attuned to the life cycles of the year than we are. What that means is that they, um, there's, a, there's a, a main change that happens during the winter. So wolves in the wild mate during the winter in January and February and early March. That's when they mate, you know, it's a breeding season, all the hormones are spiking, the males are very competitive with each other, the females are really uh, edgy, even more competitive than the males with the other females. So it's a time of a lot of intensity. It's a time, even here with the, with the wolf we have at the ranch, that they all spay and neutered. Some of them, they go, you know, scientists call it winter wolf syndrome. Mm. And some of the females still, even though they're spayed, uh, they still go through one winter wolf syndrome. So there's some females 
that are off programs through the winter until the spring rolls around and they go back to interacting with people. Otherwise, they get nippy, they get challenging, they will, you know, play tricks on people. So the times of the year, for sure, they're usually a lot more mellow in now in the summer. It's warmer, so they sleep, you know, they're more active through the night and they sleep through the day. In winter, they're more active in the day, sleep through the night. Now, the moon, um, you know, there are many studies that show how the moon affects the tides and affects, you know, some horm people's hormonal levels to an extent, affects the fluids in trees and so on. They say that you need to cut your hair in the new moon because the fluids are more retrieved than in the full moon and, and you take a lot of nutrients away. So wolves are not uh, strange to this, uh, the, uh, strangers to this. The, um, they are a little more active. They are more, you know, tonight we have a, a full moon here and, and you know, they're usually typically more playful. They howl a little bit more. I don't believe they howl at the moon, but they, um, yeah, they see each other. They can hunt. I mean, they can see the prey in the middle of the night. I mean, this, um, which I got to say, I would believe the early human was as uh, attuned to the cycles as wolves are. It's just what we forgot. Hmm. Those wolf howls are so powerful. They are. Is there any um, method to the madness? Like, I mean, as, yeah, as someone who is around them 24 hours a day, what do you take from the wolf howls? So the scientific answer to the howl is that, you know, they have 32 different sounds. They, uh, they have many tones of, of howls. They yips and growls and, you know, grunts and barks very complex communication um, uh, tools. Then is what, you know, scientists in the wild, they observe that wolf uh, howl to rally themselves before a hunt. They howl to come together. They cover large territory, so the howl can be heard from long distances. They also howl to, to, to uh, show their position to a neighboring pack, not to run into each other and prevent fights. Um, they howl when the pups are born, they howl after eating. So there's a number of ways in which they celebrate, you know, howling here. They howl when in the morning when we come to start wolf, you know, wolf care. In the evening when we're finishing up around 6 or 7 or 8 o'clock, we're leaving, they give a final howl. They usually howl in the morning when the, at the sun comes up and there's different very excited howl, mournful howl through the night, very excited in the morning. I mean, you can really pick up on their mood. Um, one of the theories, uh, scientific theory uh, that I add here too, is that wolves at a higher level use the howl for mood synchronization. So they sing together to synchronize their emotions, their psychology, their, their, uh, and their state, you know, and, and I find that mind blowing. It's kind of like a chant, right? Like maybe when, I don't know, you go to yoga and everybody alms. Yeah, yeah, it is like that. And um, it's also for peacemaking. So when uh, I've seen, we see often, you know, maybe through the fence there's some squaffle, two males are growling at each other. They can't touch each other through a double fence, but, you know, they are close to each other and they, and they, they growl and, they, and then the rest of the pack begins howling. 
and that appeased the two males, you know, uh, arguing, and those two walk away, join the howl. I mean, you know, imagine super high level uh, peacemaking, you know, uh, strategy and tool, and 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 uh, imagine I don't know you and I are arguing, and and someone else comes and starts singing. I imagine uh, the United Nations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. All right, there's. Um, I want to make sure everybody knows how to best support you and Wolf Connection. We have people listening all over the world. They can get your book anywhere. It's out now. Yeah, the book is out for the last 10 days. It's in every book outlet. Um, I believe that if you buy it on the Wolf Connection website, the copy you received is um, signed by me. But anywhere else, I mean, you can, you can buy it. Um, Wolf Connection is a nonprofit organization. So we exist thanks to the generosity and good hearts of people getting involved uh, by volunteering, especially by donating, uh, you know, a pack of 34 wolves, they care doesn't come cheap. So it's a constant expense and a constant, uh, constant need. Um, and then we do all kinds of programs, you know, as you were talking about the youth programs that we do, we work with schools and foster care agencies and, and, and uh, um, young men and women in, you know, in probation, uh, we do some uh, corporate um, programs for team building and leadership that usually pay, pay a premium. So the corporates pay more than all the other youth programs and help us subsidize the youth programs. Uh, so, so people, you know, some of them work in companies and they can bring their uh, HR department. Some others are uh, school teachers. Who knows, right? But if, you, if, if they like what they hear, go to wolfconnection.org, see, what we, see what's up. And they go from there. I think it's so great because not only can you adopt a wolf and help uh, support the wolves, you can support the programs, but we want to get you more space too, right? Right. Well, we are maxed out with the wolves. Uh, we now have, uh, you know, our current compound uh, can hold 30 wolves. We have 34, in, you know, right? so we are maxed out. Um, we've been trying for the last couple of years to build another compound for another 30. Uh, that's the number one priority right now. Right now, uh, it's a lot of construction, a lot of fencing and so on. So um, that's the main need. And then um, if people are around the L.A. area, they can come visit. You have special things like tonight there's the full moon hike. There's breakfast that you get to spend time with the wolves. Um, I imagine it's on your website. I found it on Airbnb Experiences originally. Yeah, I think we are the... Uh if not the number one, one of the top Airbnb experiences in LA. And so we do um, Airbnb groups uh, every week, every weekend. Um, so there's a number of ways to come. We have a few times a year, a community hike, which is a much you know, cheaper program to participate and so on. Well, and it's so special. You talk about rituals and stretching time. When you come visit Wolf Connection for one of these experiences, it's not just a tour where you walk around it's really a ritual you come you meet other people usually you share a meal you get introduced to the pack and then get to go on a little bit of a hike so it's always been one of my most memorable days of the year i agree i mean the wolves are not uh interested at all in entertaining people i mean this is about life changing and transformation so whether people come through a foster care agency, a school, or Airbnb, or a corporate group, anything we deliver here has a, a transformational component. That's fantastic. Is there anything else you'd like people to know? 
that the wolf is nothing like what the fairy tales and, and Little Red Riding Hood has been telling us for the last you know, couple of hundred years. A lot more powerful, right? A lot more powerful, a lot more real. And full of light and not the darkness of the wolf or the werewolf or the Halloween wolf that's been portrayed. Is that true? I mean, let me put, let me put it this way. What we see in the wolf is what we have in our hearts. Mm. Got it. Well, I love wolves. I don't know if I'm an animal person, but I love the wolves. I love being here, and I appreciate all you do. Thank you. Well, I, I wasn't. I wasn't uh, the the founder of a you know of a wolf sanctuary either. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah, here <laughs> we are. That's great. Well, um, thanks for spending so much time today, and I can't wait to meet Daisy. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Idea Fountain. There's a couple ways you can hit me up, whether you want to go on Instagram, it's at the Idea Fountain, or check out the website, theideafountain.co. I'd really love to hear more about what episodes you guys really resonated with or how you're checking out the Idea Fountain. Um, my favorite thing to do is to have people over to the house and host is a fireside chat. The last few episodes we've taped on the road, but we're also looking at maybe doing some more episodes out in public. So hit me up with any ideas. And once again, thanks for listening. Thanks for telling your friends. And uh, we'll catch you on the next Idea Fountain.